Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Ten volumes in paperback, ebook, and Kindle available at Amazon. And volumes one through nine, and very soon, volume ten, available in audio book at Audible, Amazon, and iTunes as well. So please, go out and get yourself a few dozen copies. (laughs) Pass them out to your neighbors and the children for Halloween. (laughs) And may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. Well, as you know, Kev, I sent you over the picture. (laughs) And uh, folks... I caught a clear-as-day, daylight picture of a large, red-eyed Bigfoot right in my front yard. It may be made out of plywood, but... (laughs) No, you think he's plywood. Oh, okay. Yeah, he just appears like he's made out of plywood. He is cool. He is cool-looking. He's not the... Traditional Bigfoot pose, either, which I like. <laughs> and it looks like, if you look closely, like you might even have cloven hoof spell. Because it's some kind of a crossover beast. <laughs> He's a fiend. A giant fiend with glowing red eyes. I have to tell you, if I lived c- closer, I might sneak over there later and move him to the other side of the yard. <laughs> Hey, what's going on? Hey, he's a a yard shifter. (laughs) He's not a shapeshifter, he's a yard shifter. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, so my good friend Dave, Dave, love you, bro, out in Oregon. My logger buddy Dave uh, makes up these Bigfoot silhouettes. Dave has had a couple of encounters with the big guy out there, 40 years of logger. And uh, he's making these things up, and some people are putting them on uh, field fences and the sides of barns. And he was going to try to ship me one over, but the price was ridiculous. So I had him, oh, yeah. I had him make me a tracing on like uh, butcher's paper that he taped together. Ah. And he, yeah, he sent that over to me in a tube. And I bought a piece of half-inch exterior-grade ply and traced it out, jigsawed it out, sanded it, primed it, painted it, and there you have it. Well, if you still have that tracing, you may want to send it my way. 
Well, I was going to tell you, Kev, I saved it because I thought you might say that. I might need one in my yard. <laughs> yes, doesn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll inspire me to do an additional tracing of like a dog man. <laughs> I could have him look over my neighbor's fence that I'm not too happy yeah. with. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. Well, so after all the mayhem around my plywood Bigfoot, Kev, do you think we can post the uh, picture onto the uh, website? I think we might be able to. All right, maybe the folks can get a look at it and have a couple of yucks. Yeah. Uh, interesting, though, very interesting. I so like let's it. jump into it, man. What do we have in our cryptids yeah, in the news forget, and other send me, send me the tracing, and if you want to autograph it, that would be great, too. <laughs> autograph <laughs> tracing. <laughs> I figure I can't get an autograph book, so. Well, you know, it's, it's just the way it goes, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, Bill, it is fall, and welcome to fall. And in fall, yes. yes, one of my favorite things to do is mm-hmm. to go up to Vermont and see the leaves on the beautiful sugar maples and all the rest of the trees turn their spectacular colors. Uh-huh. Right? And in addition to the beautiful colors, it also makes it much easier to potentially see a hairy man as well. <laughs> you have those bright yes, yes. And one of my favorite places to go is Stowe, Vermont. Okay. Right up in central Vermont. And today, for cryptids in the news and other oddities, we are going to go up to Stowe, Vermont. But we're not looking at leaves. Uh Instead, we're going to visit one of those beautiful, historical, wooden covered bridges... Uh-huh. However, this bridge is horribly haunted. A haunted bridge? Yes, so you're going to have to get your maple sugar candy some other day. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, pray tell, is haunting the bridge? Well, first off, so this bridge is just south of downtown Stowe, Vermont. Uh-huh. And I've been to this bridge, but I didn't know it was haunted. So I was there in the daytime. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be back at the night in the nighttime. The 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 name <laughs> of the bridge, the formal name, is called Gold Brook Covered Bridge, and okay. it was built in the eighteen hundreds. But you can indeed drive across it. But it is a very small bridge. You know, pretty narrow, like a historic covered bridge for wagons and stuff. But it's operational. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the locals, though, they don't actually call it Goldbrook Cover Bridge. They call it Emily's Bridge. Uh. <laughs> and who, pray tell, is Emily? Well, Emily's Bridge has a story about it, but not quite a charming story. Ugh. <laughs> and uh, All right. the publications say it could even be a great basis for a horror movie or even a horror TV series. Oh, boy. Yeah. When you look at it, the bridge looks normal. But you might say, well, who exactly is Emily and why do they name the bridge after her? 
Mm -hmm. So it's only 50 feet long, this bridge, that was built in 1844. And around the time that the bridge was built, you know, the dark wood that looks so dark now was quite mm -hmm. new, smelling of fresh pine and creaked every time a horse-drawn wagon crossed it. And a young woman named Emily planned to elope with her love. Their meeting hmm. place was this bridge, and they were meeting there in the evening. But her sweetheart did not show up when they were getting uh. ready to elope. And Emily was filled with despair and desperate, and she hung herself from the rafters of the bridge. Uh. Yes. Horrible, uh. horrible story, as I promised. So yes. Emily is jilted by her boyfriend and hangs herself. And now, you know, it. well, now for years, stories started making the rounds in the area of sightings of young Emily lurking around the bridge. But huh. not the sweet and sorrowful Emily we learned about, but a vengeful Emily, full of wrath and apparently very long, sharp nails. Uh, yes. And Emily takes uh, out her vengeance on cars that are passing by on the bridge and sometimes mm -hmm. individuals that are walking by on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And she slashes them with her nails. Uh, <laughs> you mean people are getting slashed? People too? get slashed on their back. Uh, and their cars get slashed in the side and they have scratches down them when they stop to see what the noise was. Oh, boy. That well, that's got to be something. Yeah, it, awful doesn't uh, speak of it, yeah. you know. And they say if you go over there to the bridge today, you, will, you definitely will have a sense of something being wrong. Uh, and you'll get, you know, tingles on your spine and that. And, you know, because Stowe is one of my favorite places, unfortunately, we're not going up there this fall. No plans so far. And pretty soon uh, the leaves uh, won't be too visible up there in chilly Vermont. But um, when I do go back there, I will definitely go over to the bridge, albeit maybe not at midnight. <laughs> yeah, now, has anybody talked about how many scratches are on their back or on no. the side of their car? No, nothing about that. Okay. Did you have an idea? Because, well, because things that come in threes are usually of the demonic realm. Oh, okay. That whole Antichrist thing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ah, Okay. Three scratches, three claw marks, three knocks on the wall. Mm. Three, three is, in the realm of creep, uh, three is a telltale indicator that it's not something you want to break bread with. Hold on. Someone's, so I'm just... Someone's knocking at my door. <laughs> <laughs> is it three knocks? <laughs> Maybe I'll stay here. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, let me, uh, since you're really into the creep deep tonight, creep deep or deep creep, uh, a good friend uh, of mine and friend of the podcast, uh, Philip, 
who I talk to uh, frequently. And Philip, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this. But Philip has what he calls a mimic in his house. Mm. And the mimic, uh, I don't know. I think he told me the last time he saw it was about six months ago. The mimic has the tendency or propensity to appear as his young daughter. And it appeared the other day, but the young daughter is at grandma's house. Mm-hmm. And he told me this thing appeared in the hallway, looked just like her. He knows she's not home. The dog reacts to it. And he said this thing had the widest you-know-what-eaten grin on its face from ear to ear. Mm. And he also told me, of course, he knows it's not his, his daughter, that the face was asymmetrical. So picture that creep in your hallway walking around in a nightgown with this asymmetrical face, this big grin, and wearing the little nightie that the little one wears. So like a twisted face, kind of? Yeah. Asymmetrical. It didn't look right. Okay. Like it was contorted or moving around a little bit, you know? Mm. How would you like to set eyes on that in your house? Negative. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. that's that is that's awful. Yeah, well, that's why I'm thinking about this Emily that appears but in a more gruesome form than the Emily who had died on the bridge, you know? Yeah, yeah 100%. So, I don't know, man. I mean, just picture running into something like that. I mean, that would just make your hair freaking fall out. Yeah, if I had Wow. <laughs> well, saying. maybe it'll make your toenails curl up. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, so the mimic and Emily on the gold, well, Emily's Bridge. But what was the real name of it? The gold? Gold Creek Bridge or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. 1844. Well, Kev, you remember Uncle Jack. Sorry, Gold Brook Bridge. Gold Brook. You remember Uncle Jack. Uncle was a watercolor artist. Oh, yeah. I have some of his watercolors in my house. Yeah, he used to love the covered bridges. Yeah. And, I don't uh, have any of the covered bridges, and tonight, maybe that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah, that's well, if you good relook at, I don't have any. <laughs> if you relook at one of his covered bridges and you see a little face peering around the corner from the inside. <laughs> yeah. Or if you look closely, there's someone hanging from the rafters. Oh! Oh, isn't that oh. lovely? That wasn't painted in there. Where'd that come from? Lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness, man. Well, I tell you, that's pretty creepy, man. It's super Uh, creepy. You know, I know you like to go up there. So, you know, like you said, the next time you're in that neighborhood, man, you got to make it a point to uh, just at least go in there and see what's going on there. See if you get some kind of vibe out of that place. Yeah, no doubt about it. I'm going. Wow. Well, I'm going. Don't worry. I'm going.
You can't stop well, me. I gotta, I'm going. I'm going. I got a pretty cool uh, encounter here tonight. Uh, but as I begin to share this uh, tale with you, it seems to me that the more accounts that I received, there's somewhat of a pattern developing to some extent. And the reason I say this is that more than a few old timers are coming forward in a way that kind of tells me they have or they want to get something off their chest. Uh, and basically, this is just another example of such an individual by the name of Reynolds Dreyfus, a longtime resident of the state of West Virginia. And, uh, you know, for those of you who may be new to this podcast and my uh, accounts, uh, I had placed this one in one of my books after another account from West Virginia. And uh, this is basically what Reynolds had to say. Back in the late 40s, I was living in the area of the Coal River near to Lower Falls. At that time, one of my favorite pastimes was muskie fishing. With three of my favorite locations being Middle Island Creek, Hughes River, and Little Kanawha. Now listen, folks, if you know anything about this area, contact us. There were some muskies running through here in the 30 to 40 pound class. And besides casting a jointed plug for them, I had a certain technique that used to be very effective in getting some of the big boys. Before I continue with my story, I will attempt to describe to you what it is I used to do. My technique was first to catch some sunfish, suckers, or chubs to use as bait. I would take the hook and hook them lightly through the back and hang them from drop lines on some of the bushes along the shoreline. I use a big slip knot on the dropper so that the fish would be held slapping the water's surface with, the only, with only the largest of fish being able to pull the slip knot free. The other technique which I used was to trail a live sunfish or sucker behind my lure with no weight. At any rate, on this day, I had portaged my canoe into the Little Kanawha River, and I was working the area just below what was known as the Falls at Bulltown. I had caught more than a few sunfish and had begun tying them to a number of bushes around an area of about one acre of water. My plan was always, after having secured the baits, to paddle out of the area and remain still along the bank, in a position where I could see any and all activity in regards to any of the baits being taken. For the sake of your readers and or listeners who don't fish, a fish slapping around on the surface may just be the best attractant known to man for getting a predator's attention. 
And on more than one occasion, my baits had even caught the attention of coons and foxes on the shore. One day, a black bear with cubs was actually peering out of the bushes looking at the commotion in the water. Now, this musky fishing, and as a matter of fact, any fishing, is subject to the fish being in the area or coming into the area while you are there, of course. The technique, however, was proven, and all I had to do was now sit and wait. I was in the canoe hugging the shore about 100 feet from my nearest bait and some 200 feet from the farthest. I had eight baits in the water, and they collectively were making quite a commotion on the surface. I had been holding my position for almost an hour, and the activity level of the hooked fish was waning as they tired, and in some cases were beginning to die. When suddenly there was a huge splash and a slipknot dropped on one of the baits furthest away from me. I was looking at the activity with great intent and grabbing my paddle when suddenly a large, hairy arm, followed by the upper body of a huge beast, leaned out of the brush, grabbing the branch and the line that was attached to the fish. So shocked was I by what I was now seeing that I froze in my seat, hoping to God that this monster would not see me. This monster, as I call it, which I now know was a Bigfoot, tore the entire branch from the bush, including the line, and pulled the fish out of the river into the woods. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. By the way, this technique that I was using was well known and used by many other individuals along the rivers. It seemed to me in the moment that this creature not only had been watching me, but perhaps many others. I say this because it had obviously been in hiding within the bushes and was as well familiar with the line being attached to the bush. To my way of thinking, the Bigfoot had actually allowed me to catch the fish for it. When I saw it, it had bent full forward from its waist reaching out over the riverbank to grab the branch. From my angle, what I was seeing of its body, which was from the upper thigh to the head, had to have been all of six feet. When it extended its arm and hand, the arm was enormous, with the forearm being maybe eight or nine inches thick, and the upper arms perhaps 16 inches or better. Its entire body was covered in long, dark brown hair, with the palms of its hands and face being somewhat blackened. Understand me, please. In these parts and in those times, there had been many folktales and stories of such beasts and others, which had been passed down and kicked around forever. But I had... I had... I had, but never had I nor any of my cronies ever seen such a creature with our own eyes. And believe me when I tell you that me and some of the good old boys spent quite a bit of time in the deepest and darkest recesses of the region 
both hunting and fishing. I had always said that if there was any truth to these things, then we would have seen them. And now I had. What do you think of that, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I love the way he puts it. Like, you know, he's always out there in these hollers or whatever they're hanging out in in West Virginia with his buddies and saying to himself, well, you know, if these things really do exist, I would have seen one or I will see one. And then, in fact, he runs into one. Right. And not, none of his buddies had ever seen one either. No. So I mean, not uh, hard to believe. It's pretty rare, right? I mean. It is. It's like a lottery pick to me. Yeah. Only sometimes you know, it's some not th- a winner. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when you think of it too, Kev, like even a lottery, a lot of people win huge lottery prizes. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, the odds are still 300 million to one every time you buy a Powerball ticket. Oh, yeah, or, so, or more, whatever the heck the odds yeah, are. It's ridiculous. Yeah, those, they're incredible odds, you know. Yeah. And yet, and yet people win. Yeah. Uh, so, the fact that a sighting of a Bigfoot... Now, look, I uh, know of some people like uh, Jeff, who will be... Uh, you'll read his stories in volume 11 when I get it out. Uh, Jeff was a guide uh, on the back of Pikes Peak, Colorado, for 30 years. And he's had numerous Bigfoot uh, sightings and encounters. Right. So it's funny that, you know, some people have the luck of the Irish, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's interesting. And others say, well, if it's out there, how come more people aren't seeing it? Well, if you look at our website after Kevin posts it, you'll see that I actually got a photograph, a daylight picture. <laughs> Of a plywood Bigfoot, a rare plywood Bigfoot with red glowing eyes, broad daylight on my front lawn. So it can happen. Super cool. (laughs) And maybe I'll have one soon, too. Yeah, how do you like this guy with his sneaky fishing technique? I never heard of anybody uh, tying fish with a drop line just so like they're touching and slapping the water. And uh, yeah, to tempting the fish to just take it off the surface. And then, of course, you see the line drop and you know you got it. Yeah. No, I like it. Kind of ingenious, you know. Yeah, I know they use it uh, out here at the coast with, um, what do they call them? The big mackerels, the king mackerels. Right king mackerel. Is it king mackerels or the big Spanish mackerels? The big ones. Like I'm not sure because we don't have them over here. Yeah, I think it's a big Spanish mackerel. So, like, they can be like okay. a few feet long, and they um, they st- they go on the end of the pier, and they get a really big cast out there, and then they have on a separate line a fish at the surface of the water near where their line is, just kind of splashing around. Wow! And somehow it attracts the big critters if it doesn't attract something oh. else. Yeah, well, there's no doubt a, a fish, a wounded fish on the surface. If anything is around there that's a predator, exactly, it's com- it's coming. Oh yeah. And so you you have the king mackerel. You can tell the difference, Kev. If you see them in the water, 
If any of you near the surface, you say, uh, "Como estás?" Say habla de español. <laughs> that's a Spanish mackerel. That's a, That's you'll know it's a Spanish mackerel if they slap <laughs> the surface of the water a couple of times. <laughs> be like yo, yo. And if he says, uh, "Hey, yo, no hablo español," hey, that's a king. <laughs> and then they they squirt at they squirt water at you like the Three Stooges eating the clam chowder. Oh, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Do you remember that? When they were sitting down at restaurant, and every time Curly went to get something out of the bowl, the clam, the piss clam, would squirt him in his face. <laughs> uh. And of course, Mo would say, "Come on, you numbskull, eat your soup." <laughs> oh, they were so stupid. Oh man, yeah. So that's it, man. Crazy freaking Bigfoot encounter, creep fest on the. Uh, Emily's Bridge and Stowe. Oh. Yeah, I love it, though. Good stuff, uh, man. Yeah, no. I love the creep fest. Yeah, we love the creep fest. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we got in our listener mail? Yeah, Kevin? we got a lot of email this week. A lot of quick, short letters. So we're going to hit a few of them. So, uh, you know, some that are uh, just compliments. We'll touch on that. And then uh, mm-hmm. just a couple asking questions. So we'll start with a All compliment right. <laughs> from Troy out in Montana. He's like, okay. I'm a Bigfoot fan and I love your style, man. And he says, <laughs> I'm in Deer Lodge, Montana. That sounds pretty rural, Bill. Yeah, I, I think I asked uh, Troy. You're right, short and sweet, but I like that. You know, just yeah. get in, get out. I asked him, you got anything going on out there? So we'll see if he gets back to me. Maybe he's go. got a tail or two. Always, or can there's turn always me something going on in Montana. Well, yeah, and if if it didn't happen to you, somebody else uh, exactly. was on the receiving end, you know? Exactly. Wow. Uh, good to hear from you, Troy. Cool. And then <laughs> our uh, beloved field reporter, Rick from Ohio. Oh, yeah. Um, he's writing in, which I hadn't heard about this, but I guess Netflix has a new uh, documentary coming out that's done by Steven Spielberg, I believe. And it features uh, a lot of detail on that famous UFO sighting of the mile-long Delta-shaped spaceship in Texas going back, um, I guess it was in 2007. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Can you imagine a mile long? So we got well, we've heard of that before. There was one in Chicago too, mm-hmm, same type mm-hmm. of craft, maybe the same craft. Mm-hmm. If there is uh, mm-hmm. such a thing, of course. And uh, so I'm going to be watching for this Netflix Encounters documentary. It seems cool. I mean, more and more cool footage is getting out there, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, I remember uh, hearing Art Bell one night, uh, who, as you know, used to live in Pahrump. Uh, Nevada. Was it Nevada or New Mexico? Pahrump. I think it was in Nevada. Anyways, he was out in the desert one night with his uh, beloved wife at that time. And this thing came over them low and slow. And up until that point in time, you know, he was just uh, hearing stories, telling stories, sharing information, whatever, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But after that night, he was like, man, until you see it for yourself, you have no idea. He said this thing was enormous, and it just kind of slowly crept over them, blocking out the sky. Mm. And there was no doubt uh, what was going on, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these things are out there. Who knows, man? Who freaking knows? Mm. So uh, thanks to Rick. Rick, By the way, folks, uh, if you've seen something, say something. And you can contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact link and leave your number. Tell me briefly what's going on. And uh, I'll be in touch with you, man. So interesting. You know, and Rick, our friend Rick in Ohio, he does a lot of uh, snooping around. Uh, we have a, quite a few people who do a lot of snooping we do, around. But Rick's so. been one of the first ones, and he's always, he's not giving up. He keeps keeps telling us new things, giving me yeah, tips, no. too. Stuff to look yeah, for. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. It's all good stuff, and we like that. Our show is based on you and us. Yeah. So we encourage you to contribute in any way, shape, or form that you think you can, uh, as long as it's productive. <laughs> Fair enough. You know what I mean? Uh, okay, so what else you got? What else is happening? Yeah, yeah. So we got another uh, email from Dave, and uh, he's giving us a tip on a Japanese cryptid. He says, greetings, okay. guys. I love your podcast. I've been binging since the first episode, and I finally caught up. There's wow. a Japanese cryptid called the Ninjin. I read a little bit about it, and I wanted to pass it along in case it's something you'd like to cover on the show. I huh. look forward to your new podcast each and every week, so please keep them coming. Thanks, guys. Dave. So... Dave, I'm going to put that on the list. Thanks for the tip. Ninja. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, there are a lot of things out there that aren't necessarily uh, known by the general public globally, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, it, it might be something else that they're calling this ninja uh, that's called something else elsewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to look into that and find out exactly what it is, you know. Check it out. Wow. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, no. Good yeah. Stuff. Like you said, there was a lot of short inquiries yeah. uh, in the mailbox, just a hello. And we love to hear that, folks. I mean, if you we want do. to say hi and thank you or whatever. We do. Uh, you don't have chime to send in. us a long uh, note. It's all good. And then our last one, Bill, comes in from Philip. Okay. And um, Phillip's asking about werewolves in Ireland. Hmm. And I haven't heard of this. So he says the Irish werewolf is different from the European werewolf, as it really is not a monster at all. Unlike huh. its continental cousins, this shapeshifter is the guardian and protector of children, wounded men, and lost persons. According to some ancient sources, the Irish werewolves were even recruited by kings in the time of war. Known in huh. their native land, now my Gaelic pronunciation is not good, so like Falad or Conrucht, 
their predatory behavior is typical of the common wolf, not beneath the occasional nocturnal raid. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't heard of that, Bill. How about you? No, I know nothing about it, but I'll tell you this. Uh, Philip is like a super historian. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, he knows a little bit about everything from, I mean, you picked a topic in historicity. Uh, he'll have something to say about it, knowledgeable, mm. not just right. jive talking, you know. Very so cool. maybe we want to check into that Irish werewolf, too, someday and see if we could dig something up on it, you know. I will. I'll definitely check it out. You know, some people have accused me of being an Irish werewolf. I know how that is. <laughs> yeah, you know. Fangs, mustachio, you know, howling at the moon, you know, <laughs> eating a bowl of Cheerios, a slice of pizza. It's what werewolves do. Or some Cheerios on top of pizza. Did I tell you, Kev, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was bored out of my mind at work and I had my earbud in and I just went on the Prime application uh, on my phone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once in a while, I don't make a habit of this, but I had this thing going while I was doing my work. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Ah, classic. Fantastic, man. I haven't seen it in ages. But that's got, like, oh, yeah. uh, Bella Lugosi in it and stuff like that, right? Like the real uh, the real, the real uh, characters. stars. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing you didn't have, you had a different Frankenstein guy, but every bit as good as uh, Boris yeah. Koloff. Awesome. Yeah, you had Bella and Lon Chaney and uh, Frank the Monster, and uh, fantastical. And I knew everything that was going to happen because I've seen it so many times, you know. Yeah, but it was really good. But man. still good. What a, still good. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. No, I gotta, I gotta pull that up on YouTube one of these days. Or, <laughs> uh, watch it again. Now you got a hankering. Yeah, yeah. So that's it, Bill. Good, uh, good creepy podcast this week. Thanks, folks, for tuning in and spending some time with us. And uh, now, always good to have you, folks. And by the way, if you should find yourself hiking through the woods around Emily's Bridge in Stowe, Vermont, or West Virginia, fishing for muskies by the Coal River near the Lower Falls... You better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.